Wait, what's this? No gay? Well, hold on just a second. We'll get to the hot beats by the man bun himself shortly, but I wanted to talk about our sponsor right off the top of the show. 444 is offering a special discount to our listeners using the promo code DYNASTYOM to get the most accurate rankings in DFS tools for the 2018 season. John Paulson, or at 444John, already made the top 10 for the most accurate rankers for 2018, and TJ Hernandez, despite his ridiculous hate of IPAs, is consistently giving out the, some of the best DFS advice in the industry. Again, use our promo code DYNASTYOM to get a 25% discount and get access to all the rankings and tools so you can take over the league for this year. It's so beautiful, right? Ain't that right, Gabe? This game is so beautiful, you know? Come play. Flip the page. Dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played. Maybe you've made a trade. Trade list. And now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships. They wish they had your So this is it. You want to learn the game. 101 pick. When it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. And here are your authors. Chris Allen and Adam Wildey. All right, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode 22 of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and it's week one, or at the end of week one, actually getting into week two. And instead of having a guest on this week, we decided that it might be easier for both ourselves and also you folks listening at home to actually just listen to us. I know we're not the top-notch analyst. We don't have any blue check marks or anything like that. But I do believe that the process and some of our experience might be useful to some of you guys. So we have a few topics lined up tonight that might be of use to both dynasty owners and redraft owners. So we were going to sit down tonight and kind of walk through a few of those. And hopefully you guys might find some of that useful. But as always, I'm joined with my lovely co-host, Adam Wildey. Adam, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well, man. Uh, got prepared for this hurricane rolling through, and it's actually going a little south, so we might not even have to worry about it. I might just be stuck with a box of snacks that was uh, supposed to last us through the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that works out. But yeah, like all I've been mean, seeing on the news the past couple of days, I mean, what's going to happen, or I guess what they're projecting to happen. So I'm definitely hoping that you and the wife stay safe. And for anybody that's in the regions, we've been seeing folks on Twitter kind of reaching out or like listening or reading about some of their stories of folks that are going to be impacted by the hurricane. So I'm hoping for everybody that's along the eastern coast is going to be okay. And then also I was listening to, I forget which podcast it was, but there's a chance that the Redskins game might get impacted, but I, I don't know if that's yeah. still going to be the case, but at least I, I heard that earlier this week. So it's definitely something to watch for as both our personal and fantasy lives are going to be impacted by something that we really have no control over. But again, right. our primary concern is everybody's safe, but we're here to talk fantasy, right? This is the Dynasty yep. Owners Manual podcast, so let's let's hop right into it. So week one is over. I guess my first question, Adam, what what was your biggest takeaway from week one? I mean, what, what were some of the highlights, I guess, that, that you that you took away after seeing all the games? So maybe from an, an overarching theme standpoint, um, so you you see the the inexperienced owners overreact heavily, and that's where you get all your your waiver wire drops that probably shouldn't have been dropped, and you know picking up the Philip Lindsays, which we'll get into, and things like that. But then I think that some of us that are in say 18 leagues for me, I think we underreact slightly. So we put on so much work in the off season that you know when you see it right in front of your face week one, it, it takes us a little while to adjust. And and I think there's got to be a happy median, and I haven't found that happy median myself yet. Um, I think I'm a little bullish on adjusting myself, and that's something that I'm working on as a dynasty owner. But but yeah, there's definitely some things to adjust to. Um, I really, really liked Tyreek Hill's game last season. I just loved watching him. He was a player I loved to watch, but he was that like prototypical best ball guy. You wanted him on your team because he was going to win you weeks, but you know, you, you never knew when to start him because he's pretty much 
matchup proof. And when he shows up, he shows up. But this year, that game, uh, he looked unstoppable. Uh, he had the Alvin Kamara effect in my mind. I mean, uh, when Alvin Kamara's on the field, I don't think that there's anyone on the field that's better than him. And, uh, man, that's what Tyreek Hill looked like. Uh, it might be a little too late right now. You might have to wait for some down weeks that I do believe will come, but he's somebody I might want to target, man. I wholeheartedly agree because I think the major concern with Tyreek Hill, as you just mentioned, was the deep ball, the deep ball catches. Mm-hmm. I think that when it came to 2017, that was his primary, his primary way of making value was that he was going to catch a deep ball, run it in for a touchdown, and then there you go. There's your 13 point week tacked on with any few targets he might get. But now we saw, we saw the deep ball. We saw actually some red zone usage, that touchdown yep. that he ran in. I mean, it looks like the offense is now being schemed towards that deep speed that we mm-hmm. all thought can only be used in one way. So if that's the case, I'm, I'm thinking that this guy, I mean, his value has, has got to be just sky high at this point. Yep. I would love to be able to target him in some trades going forward, but now is kind of the time where we, where we, I think that we should kind of sit back and take a look at things from a holistic standpoint before we go out making trades where we're just, we're absolutely throwing value, you know, just out the window in order to acquire somebody like that. But I do think that it's great for if you own them. Great, you cashed in, and now you're now you you know you're, you're raking in the money, you're raking in that value. But I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. And you dabble, you're dabbling in Game Pass a little bit now, which I need to get into. But I really liked Sammy Watkins this offseason, and I love his talent. I think he's one of the more talented receivers in the league. But I was a little afraid that he meant more to the team um, in terms of rolling coverages than he did to your fantasy roster, uh, which was the case for the Rams. He was very valuable to the Rams, just not so much in, in fantasy scoring. If you go back, a lot of coverages got rolled to Sammy. I'm really not sure why he gets the respect unless the other coaches um, just understand his his talent, even though he doesn't put up the numbers. Maybe they don't pay as, as much attention to the to the numbers as us. But when he's on the field, he's he's getting respected by the defense and that just makes me want Tyree Kill that much more same reason I liked Robert Woods so much last year 100% and what's interesting though in that particular situation is that if you look at how the Rams are now using Brandon Cooks my mm-hmm. my original thought was that well Brandon Cooks comes in he takes the Sammy Watkins role coverages shift towards him but at least again it's just the first game but it looks right. like Brandon Cooks has been able to produce in that yeah. offense, despite yeah. what we saw out of Sammy Watkins in 2017. Yeah, it was – I watched that game. I, I played Brandon Cooks a couple times. I actually played him over Cooper Cup, And um, I don't think that you're ever going to project the week for any of those receivers. doesn't really matter the defense because they got similar targets. Um, Cooper Cup had more red zone targets and the touchdown in the red zone. I think that's kind of his cup of tea, no pun intended. But uh, but um, I, I just think it's going to be really, really difficult to predict. I think I'm going to end up being more comfortable playing Cooper Cup on a weekly basis, but uh, probably end up having Cooks in any any favorable matchup, he'll be in the flex. I, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. And then the other thing that at least my, my biggest takeaway from from uh, week one was that we're looking at a lot a wide receiver resurgence. I know that a lot of analysts were were kind of predicting that based off of what happened last year in terms of running back efficiency, kind of hitting that outlier portion in terms of the efficiency. But now we're seeing. I mean, Michael Thomas. He. I mean, he went off this past weekend. Odell Beckham, even against Jacksonville, was able to put up a solid stat line. AJ Green. I mean, you saw so many wide receivers coming back and actually producing for producing for their teams. A lot of the first round draft capital that was spent on these running backs is just not going to pan out. So if it, from a dynasty standpoint, let's say if you put in, well, I mean, unfortunately, if you put in a, a high priority for Darius Geis, you, I mean, you've already lost that. But if sure. you look at Sony Michelle, if you look at Rojo, I mean, there, there are a number of examples where it's like, it's looking like you're going to have to take that wait and see approach to a lot of the assets right. you, that you thought were going to be able to produce in 2018. Yep, and that's definitely something that we're going to hit on hard today because I think we've uh I think we've been spoiled pretty heavily and it's kind of swayed uh, our opinions a little bit on these guys. Absolutely. So, getting into it 
first things first, going into week two, mm-hmm. we're now going to be searching the waiver wire, whether it is redraft or, or, or dynasty. But for, for redraft and dynasty, rather, when you're attacking the waiver wire, at least a couple of things stand out to me. When it comes to redraft, week one, there's a ton of overreaction, as you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen... I saw uh, the New Orleans defense like out on the out on the waiver wire this week. I mean, we're seeing uh, quarterbacks like Matt Ryan being dropped, who I think still has a decent yep. amount of value. I mean, there Stafford are as well. Stafford as well, Mariota. I mean, mm-hmm. so there there are players that are getting dropped. I even saw Ben Roethlisberger in a couple of wow. weeks that are getting dropped. So it's like there are there are these opportunities for value that's just laying out there in the street for us to react to, where we don't even have to spend a waiver priority or anything. We don't have to spend any any fob, which we'll go over here in just a little bit. It's mm-hmm. that I think we as as owners, if we are if we're savvy enough. We can just react to the overreaction from other owners, and I think that's definitely something that we can pounce on. At least for me personally, in a couple of uh, for my clients, since I am a draft day consultant, a couple of the clients that I have for season long, I've been telling them: one, we'll look at the waiver wire. I mean, that's first things first. We'll look at who's available. But then on uh, earlier today, I told them to send me screenshots of the transactions. Let's see who got dropped. And in a couple mm-hmm. of leagues, we were able to capitalize. We have the claims in right now, but right. we were able to capitalize off of players or defensive units that are getting dropped because people are already overreacting, and that's something that we just can't do in week one. We don't have the sample size to say that this is what's going to happen for 12, 13 weeks or however long your fantasy season ends. So that would be my, my one thing about attacking the waiver wire for regardless of the of the format of the, the league that you're playing in. But how would you approach it like when it comes to either redraft or dynasty? Well, I think a few key ones in redraft can go back to some of the league psychology things that we talked about and kind of knowing your league mates. Um, this is a little more geared towards those home leagues that, you know, all of us have those home leagues. Even if you have 20 leagues, you've got those home leagues and you know the people in there that are overreacting or that are, that are mad about those players. Um, James Connor, man, I loved James Connor this week. Uh, I love his story. Phenomenal. Uh, I don't think if Bell wasn't there this week and he wasn't there last week, I don't think he'll be there before week 10. That just wouldn't make any sense. Um, so it's tough because you could ride James Conner for 10 weeks, um, try to sell him maybe week eight to someone who thinks Lev wouldn't come back at all. But I, I chose to, uh, just try to get very valuable piece now. Um, so DJ and Zeke had really bad weeks and, um, James Conner just looked like the real deal. I, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but I almost as, as the James Conner owner don't feel good about sending the trade offers I sent for Zeke. I just sent James Conner and like my wide receiver two on some teams. So like maybe Conner and I think Cooks was one. No. James Conner in a piece. I wish I could remember the second piece, but I was sending it for Zeke. I was sending it for DJ because both of those offenses look so bad, but both of those players are so talented and just focal points in the offense. That's the type of overreaction that we're talking about now, and they're real. I, I know it sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but those are real. People see this week one, and they can't really extrapolate it over, over 16 games, or rather they do extrapolate the poor performance over 16 games, and then you know, they think that Zeke is all of a sudden, you know, just a guy, not the case. So this is the kind of thing where it's like, know your enemy, um, know who's going to re- overreact, know who, who's going to get really upset about those performances. Uh, Dynasty is a little different. You're going to have the savvy owners. You're not really going to have guys that are making those knee jerk trades. So I'll get a little off that point for Dynasty. Dynasty though, we need to find guys who used to have four outcomes that needed to uh, hit for them to be relevant. And now they have two. So like those late round flyers that we were talking about with Sam last week. 100% exactly like those late round flyers. You know, the guys that there was not a single opportunity of for them. And, you know, now there's, they're one injury away from an opportunity. So you're not really finding those producers on the waiver wire in dynasty, but you may in the future find this producers. A good example of that is um, Corey Coleman just got signed with the Patriots. He's really not going to play very much anytime soon, um, but he's very talented. We know that um, 
if if his work ethic issues are true, they won't last long with the Patriots or else he won't last long. So that's a perfect example. You're not going to get anything from him right now, but you may in the future. Yeah, I can, I can, I can definitely see that. But I guess I think the main point that at least that I'm hearing from you across that is trust the talent. So there right. are there are a number of players that we're already down on coming into the season that we just don't think are going to produce now. But especially when it comes to dynasty, if you believe in the talent of the player. At some point, I mean, if, if you can get them for, again, low risk, high reward type of situation, then if the situation winds up working out, like in the case of Corey Coleman, where I do believe in the talent, it's mm-hmm. just that, and now if the situation winds up panning out, again, we, we never know, but he's in the right system in order to create that type of situation where now acquiring him for pennies on the dollar will wind up becoming something that's great i think that's something that we should we should invest in or try to invest in as soon as possible and a good example of practical application of the topic that we're discussing is uh trey quinn mr irrelevant just got ankle surgery you know he really might not be worth the ir spot if you're a team that is actually utilizing your ir spot for prolific players say you've got uh hunter henry and darius guys occupying your two ir spots right now are you going to place trey quinn on ir Probably not. So you're either going to eat the roster spot, uh, and he was just a prospect anyways, or you're going to drop him. And most of the time he's going to get dropped. So if you're somebody who um, has the roster spot already, say you're a top-heavy team, you go add Trey Quinn, and that's your dynasty waiver wire right there in a nutshell. So now we've talked about like the younger guys that are on the waiver wire that aren't going to be produced for a while. But then you have the older guys um, the example is Antonio Gates definitely got dropped. Adrian Peterson was gone. Frank Gore, Alfred Morris, these were all guys that were on the waiver wire to start the season. Um, another big one would have been DeMarco Murray. That one didn't work out as much. Obviously, he's out of the league, but that was a prospect that some people were holding on to. Now, do you, do you use a roster spot on these older guys? You know you're only going to have them for one year. You know, it's dynasty, but we have to win too. So I don't know how you feel about these older guys, but... That's pretty much what I'm using my fab for because a lot of the, a lot of the free agents that I'm spending money on in season and dynasty are pretty cheap anyways because they're just flyers of mine. What do you think? Oh, I, I agree there because again, if we're looking for production and I would say that for the cost, I would put them in low risk. And mm-hmm. honestly, they're not somebody that, especially in a dynasty situation that we're looking to keep past 2018. So for guys like you just mentioned, or hell, you can include, you can throw Brandon Marshall onto that list as well, yep. where if you're able to pick him up, you now have essentially, I mean, the wide receiver one, or 1B, or however you want to look at that situation mm-hmm. they have there in Seattle. So you're, you now have instant production and possibly at a position of need, depending on your roster construction, that you paid nothing for. You can cut him at the end of this year. And then, you know, you can continue, continue building your dynasty roster that way. So I, I think that it's fine to attack the waiver wire or pick up some of these older guys, but you have to, you have to know the, or understand the expectations and that you know that you're essentially trying to catch lightning in a bottle because yep. Adrian Peterson, I don't know how much he has left in the tank because we saw what happened last year after he was given a, a decent, mm-hmm. decent workload. He wound up breaking down after he got traded to Arizona. So, he might, you know, he comes out, he looks great. Try and sell high. I mean, that it's entirely possible that you can package, package him away to somebody that, uh, you know, might need running backs that might have lost Darius guys for the year and they're looking to try and make a push. So if they think that he can withstand the workload and continue to play well within the Redskins offense, then why not yep. try and package him for something that you can use later? So yep. there, there's, there's strategy behind picking them up, but both you and the person you're selling them to, I would assume, understand that this is just for the 2018 season. I, I'm not expecting. Well, maybe no, because I'm not. I'm not expecting Alfred Morris to be in be in SF like past past right. 2018. I think they'd probably draft a guy. I thought that they would do that with Jarek McKinnon, anyways. But right. yeah, it'd be, he'd be hard pressed for him to get a job there next year again. Right, and there's not really any of the older guys that I really consider them to still be there after this mm-hmm. year. I, I'm I'm assuming Frank Gore is gone after this year and he's retiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my thought process with Frank Gore was that I believe he was like 
just short, like uh, just over 400 yards to make it to was it fourth all time in rushing? Yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely going to be top five by the end of the year. I I do recall that, and I yeah. think that's probably a good benchmark for him to try to reach. Yeah, and I think that's totally within the range of outcomes, and then he should be done by the end of this season. And the mm-hmm. same thing for I mean for Antonio Gates. I, I don't see yep. why other than with Hunter Henry going down, they just mm-hmm. wanted somebody that is familiar with the offense they could sign for fairly cheap, and then once Hunter. Henry is back considering it happened during when was it was it June July no earlier than that this oh, yeah, was, it was um, earlier than that that's right not not mini camp uh, or mini camp yes so rookie right. camp and then mini camp that's when it happened right so assuming he comes back fully healthy and he has I mean he has plenty of time in order to do it now mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I could see Antonio Gates there so again these are all just one year rentals I mean that's technically the Hunter Henry can come back this year actually yeah that's right because they they put him on they they put him on the uh, not the pup um it was like IR designated to return or something yes. like that yes so, and and it, it was an ACL tear so it wouldn't be until playoffs it's not going to be fantasy relevant but for the sake of having Antonio Gates remain on your roster he might end up being a cut by the end of the year but that goes more towards our point that manage your expectations but don't be afraid to spend your fab on these guys because you need them you need them now yeah exactly so now getting into some of these players that you're picking up depending on your your league's setup you might be dealing with with fab in order to pick up some of these players so fab faab uh, free agent acquisition budget if i'm not mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken that's how the acronym works out so when it comes to spending that, most of the leagues that I play in, and I don't know if this changes for you, Adam, but I think any league that I've ever played in has it set at 100 bucks for the total budget. Have you played in something that's different than that? Yeah, FFPC is a thousand, but that's the only difference I've had. Oh, I haven't played on that on that platform yet, so I definitely I want to check that out. But the high stakes stuff, man, I I don't have the budget for that yet. All right. right, I I I took it as a. I took it as a pretty nice investment because the uh, the roster was a quality roster. I think I had Kamara, Fournette, Julio, T.Y. Hilton, and, and Kirk Cousins, and then Jimmy Graham at tight end. So I was like, That's I'd probably solid. do something with this. So yeah. I didn't exactly have the budget either, but I thought I had a pretty good shot at least getting my money back. Yeah, let me win a GPP, and then maybe I'll, I'll transfer some <laughs> of my stuff over to there. We'll, we'll figure that out. But when it comes to acquiring some of these players off of, off of the waiver wire using your FOB budget – I know there are different strategies in order to do that, and I think, I mean, if this is just, this is just me thinking about this, and I, this thought just came to me. When we were talking with George Criticos about auctions, mm-hmm. setting priorities or like percentages when it comes to acquiring players, I'm thinking about doing the same thing for setting, mm-hmm. for setting FOB, for setting up your FOB budget, depending on the position, depending on the player, like how much you need them for your roster. I think that would be at least the best process for going about, you know, saying I'm going to pay this much or this is how much I'm going to bid for this particular player. Does that make sense? Sure. It does make a little sense. The only thing with FOB that's different than an auction is that you're, you know that you need to spend that money before you leave essentially your desk that day with fob that player may never come off the waiver wire i mean we not likely but we may not see that running back one workhorse go down um you may not see that todd Gurley go down that opens up the door for um john kelly uh so it's a little tougher to set aside the budget on FOB because you don't know what you're budgeting for, i.e. you don't know the player, the position. You might get stuck with all your FOB because you're frugal like I am, and I always think that there's going to be someone better. I tried to put in a huge bid for Adrian Peterson. I got outbid. So it really – I wouldn't say that it's almost an art. So if you're the type of person that just wants to hedge your bet and say, I'm going to get someone decent right now that I can play. Just use your fob and get them. If they're viable, they are relevant, they're going to score, I just say spend it because otherwise you're just waiting. That's true. All right, so let me – I'm going to outline – this will be like a pop quiz for you real quick. I'm going to outline, let's say, three situations about how I've seen other players like expend their fob throughout the season. And Mm -hmm. you tell me as whether or not that would be something that you would do or you would recommend for, for folks at home. Let's say first, uh, first situation, I think it was, yeah, it was the 2015 season. Mm -hmm. Uh, This guy was a Le'Veon Bell owner. 
mm-hmm. did not use his fob throughout the entire season. Le'Veon Bell goes down. Mm-hmm. D'Angelo Williams is the next man up. He dropped all of his fob. He waited until that happened, yep. and just be, the only reason he spent his fob was that he wanted to make sure that he had the budget in order to acquire the handcuff that he needed off the waiver wire. So he just spent all $100 on that one shot for D'Angelo Williams, which obviously wound up working out for him. Yes. But would that be a methodology of just holding all of your fob, and then in just a in-case-of-emergency break-glass type situation, you just blow all of it on one player? Would you Would you be down with that? So the, I'm going to use some player examples to kind of kind of make the point work. So okay, if my if my team is well rounded and I drafted good depth, I have no reason to spend my money on Philip Lindsay. So I'm just using him as an, as an example because he split the carries with Royce Freeman. He looked very very good. He doesn't have a guaranteed workload, but you're kind of picking him up off the waiver wire because he has the potential to have a good workload. If I've got the depth and I'm never, ever going to play Philip Lindsay this season, we're talking redraft for this portion right now, I don't have – I will never play him this season. No, I'm not going to touch my free agent budget until there's a player that has to go in my lineup. So uh, I'm assuming he was the left bell owner. He had a productive lineup. That was an excellent strategy for him. Okay. All right, so second situation – 2016 season, I think it was like the first, well, the first big season that I can recall where zero RB was getting pushed heavily. So player goes, this is like owner X, they go zero RB. And of course that means their, uh, their running backs are not doing particularly well. So throughout the entire season, they're spending chunks of their budget weekly on whichever running back that they think is going to perform well or has a like a new situation cropping up. So in the case of, I think this was, uh, who was the Ravens running back that wound up getting cut like a couple of times, uh, 2016? I can't remember his name. Um, Justin Forsett. Yeah, Forsett. So mm-hmm. wound up, you know, wound up picking up the Justin Forsets of the world, nice. like other players like that in order to supplement what they didn't have at wide receiver. So depending on your draft strategy, if you already know you're going to be weak at a position, you just budget out every week that's like, okay, well, this person seems to be coming up with a decent workload, so I'll budget off like 10% of my, 10% of my FOB budget in order to do that. And then the next week I'll do the same and the week after that so that you can supplement some either bad matchups or just the poor running back play, knowing that you're good at wide receiver. You might be streaming tight ends or you might be set at, at set at tight end, quarterback, everything else. It's just that you're working on that one position that you knew that you were weak at after your draft. Would you be fine with that? Yes. Yeah, so this is a part that goes under talked about about zero RB and I wouldn't wreck. I wouldn't say that I'm a, a zero RB expert by any means, but when you do go zero RB, your roster, your stable of running backs is larger than what is on your roster. It's going to have to include the waiver wire almost certainly if you went deep enough. Now let's get back to roster construction. If you went zero RB, you by default have stacked wide receivers or you just did very poor job drafting. So let's assume that you have very stacked wide receivers and also wide receivers are extremely cheap on the waiver wire. I mean, you can wait for, you can wait for the waivers to process, um, meaning all the blind bids have been distributed and now it's free for all until the next week. You can wait and find, um, your production off the waiver wire. So, uh, assume you're good at wide receiver. So let's get back to the running back position. If you've got a zero RB roster in your top every wide receiver, you almost want to make your bench into its own waiver wire. So just stacking your bench with the Jordan Wilkins, the Marlon Mack. So that's a good thing that I like to do in zero RB is get two guys that one of them's going to come out on top. You, know, you, you might get Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. You might get uh, Jordan Wilkins and Marlon Mack. You may get uh, Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde. Uh, so your bench needs to be your waiver wire. When one guy rises to the top, you drop him, you pick up somebody else to fill your stable of waiver wires because that money is going to run out. So you're spending those chunks and you might get three guys that may produce. But um, if it's a zero RB roster, that is also a great strategy to just spend chunks at a time. And it's also, again, goes back to that being an art because oftentimes it's very difficult to get a player without going all in on them. Um, 
because it's very difficult to gauge what others bid. Okay. All right. So that's two processes that I think folks can try and implement on their own. So now third one, uh, Dynasty League, and then what the what this owner was actually doing was using their FOB money as trade bait. So seeing what other what other players were doing and how active they were on the waiver wire, and if it was somebody like either somebody that was waiting for that injury to occur where they would drop it all, or even if they were able to notice or chart the fact that they were constantly spending chunks of their money week in and week out, now try and use that as a trade like as, as a trade piece in order to say, well, hey, how about I give you this player, but then I can also supplement your FOB budget by giving you some of mine. So if I'm not going to spend it because I think that my draft is legit, well, if you're constantly pulling players off the waiver wire and you're down to, I don't know, five, ten dollars left, but it's only week eight or nine and you want to push for the playoffs, how about we do a deal and I supplement that budget so you can continue utilizing that strategy? What would you think about that? Yeah, this is a great one because if you fear the unknown, this is the strategy you want to go with. So I know I'm agreeing with every strategy, but what I want to get to is that they're all relevant depending on your team's situation. So in this case, I'll give you my own example. Now this, so bankroll league and bankroll means that you use your money for multiple things. You're going to use it for FOB. You're going to use it for the draft next year. You just accumulate money and you're going to use it for anything that you buy players for. Well, Devi auction comes up and I admittedly did not do enough research on Devi players. I knew the players' names and I know who I liked. I don't think I had enough knowledge to win an auction. So what I did is I just sold my Devi money. Well, my bankroll money. I sold all my bankroll slash free agent money for Gronkowski uh, in a league. I know what I'm going to get from Gronk. Um, and then I was able, I already had Kelsey. Um, so basically put my fab up for auction. I didn't feel like I needed it at the time. Best player you send me, I'll give you my fab. Best player ended up being Gronk, traded Kelsey. Perfect example of if I fear the unknown, which I did, I didn't want to just take shots on Devi guys that I liked watching but didn't know exactly how relevant they'd be in fantasy. I just got Gronkowski. So that is definitely a viable method if you are if you don't want to take your shot on Philip Lindsay, let somebody else take it. Yeah, I agree. And I think in each of those situations that we just went through, I think each of them are viable. But as we mentioned beforehand, it's understanding your league, understanding the format of your league, and also understanding your league mates. So going all the way back to our discussion with Leo, I think that, you know, not necessarily having a notebook and going all in, but just understanding and tracking what these players or what these owners are doing week in and week out so that you can find market inefficiencies. You can see that this person is picking up the specific type of player if they're always going after running backs or if they're always trying to add depth because they might have gone all in or used most of their draft capital at other positions or if they're spending too much on, of their FOB week in and week out or if they're holding their FOB. Or, you, know, you can kind of get a glimpse at to, as to what you can expect once some big injury occurs or whatever just based off of the activity. So going right. back and checking the transactions and looking at things of that nature is a way that you can get an edge on your league because you're you're understanding all of what every like ev- what everybody's doing in that particular league and we've discussed it on actually two trading episodes now i've made sure to bring it up is that it doesn't even have to be a sneaky process i love to just be blunt in a trade conversation and go to this person and say I noticed that you've implemented a zero RB strategy. And like we talked about with Brandon, you're not going to him and saying, Hey man, your running backs suck. Like you need this fab. <laughs> you're not going to him and saying that you're just, if they have Keenan Allen, Julio Jones and Antonio Brown, and then their running backs are Jordan Wilkins and Adrian Peterson. Yeah. They probably need the free agent money. So that's another, another way. Previously we discussed building a win now roster with a trading partner that is uh, building for the future. But if you've got a trading partner that's constantly grinding the waivers, which is an awesome way to win, if you're good at grinding the waivers, that's an excellent way to win a championship. And you just don't feel like you need the waiver money or just that your team needs a specific player. If he went zero RB, he's probably stacked a wide receiver. You could throw that that zero RB owner, your blind bids, money or budget and, you know, get a player in return. And he gets to keep grinding the waivers and you got – a productive receiver that was probably on his bench because he was stacked. 
All right, so next we're going to talk about some potential fits. So we're going to get into practical application for the second half of the episode. Um, we talked about a couple of these guys already, but these are the type of guys we're discussing in Dynasty. We did a little bit of redraft discussion. Now in Dynasty, we're not finding those big names whatsoever. It, it's Or they were big names, some of these guys. So Martavis Bryant probably would have gotten dropped in a few leagues, and I know because I saw him picked up in a few leagues today because he was rumored to have another suspension. The funny joke on the FF Ballers I listened to today said – uh just have him keep running go routes until he gets suspended on the field and then he can just keep running. That was a, that was hilarious, but, uh, he isn't suspended yet. Raiders signed him for or traded for, for him for a third round pick, dropped him and then signed him back to a one year deal. So not sure what Gruden's doing, but you got Martavis Bryant for free and you can hope he doesn't, uh, hope he doesn't get suspended. Another name is Philip Dorsett, who's found his way back into relevance. I know owners were tired of him. Uh, my brother Carl was the biggest Philip Dorsett truther to, I don't think he ever stopped liking Philip Dorsett actually. And then lastly, Philip Lindsay, man, did he look good? I, I think he was on a lot of waivers, um, mostly because he was an undrafted free agent and, uh, and it, that backfield looks pretty stout with, uh, Booker, Henderson and Freeman. So, he was just kind of the odd man out, but he worked his way into relevant. What do you think about those three guys or or even more guys than that? So out of the first one with Martavis Bryant, I think the only thing I'm not really all that concerned about the suspension talk that we've been we've been hearing about. But my biggest concern is just the Raiders offense in general. So while I do think that there's a chance for him to produce Good luck finding which week it's going to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, Derek Carr looks skittish. I don't know what's going on with Amari Cooper. Jared Cook, for some reason, is the only person that we can rely on. So <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what to do with that entire offense. So if you're telling me that, I mean, if you wind up picking him up, I mean, mm-hmm. sure, I would need to see it first in order to in order to actually – uh, get a get a gauge on what his on what his value might be in terms of wh- how much I can rely on him throughout the 2018 season because I'm assuming that he's not going to be there next year. At least that's right. that's that's my basic thought. Is it's a one year rental, but how much production am I going to get out of the next? I mean, he's supposed to play this week, right? They they signed him and he's supposed to play on Sunday. Right. Yep. Yep. So I'm not sure how much production that I'm going to be able to get out of him out of the next 11 to 12 weeks. So sure, speculative ad, but I I would I would need to see it a couple of weeks before I could trust him. Now those speculative ads ads are huge though because we touched on it earlier about about rostering talent and he's he's killed rosters. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie about that. I took him. Um, I had the 206 and the 207 the year that he and Jarvis Landry came out that 2014 season, um, and I took them back to back. And man, did I hit for a while there. Um, and then, you know, you started really relying on Martavis Bryant. I would like to pull that ADP data because I'm sure it got high. And then, yeah, he killed some rosters for sure. So I wouldn't even look to start him a single time this year, I don't think. I don't think there's a matchup bad enough to where I would want to start him. Um, but we touched on that one-year rental. If he were to produce this season, uh, he finds his way into relevance next year. So earlier we discussed we're not really getting the opportunity to pick up studs off the waiver wires in Dynasty. So we're really picking up those guys that are one to two injuries out of production, which he's behind Jordy Nelson, and that's pretty much it. So Jordy looked better than I thought he would just running routes out there, but he's gone next year. So, yeah, he probably won't do anything for you. You're probably completely right. Um, you're never going to start him. But if he's the 53rd man on your dynasty roster, sure. Yeah, I, I would have no problem with that. And with Philip Dorsett, I'm, I think I'm on board with Carl here in saying that I do think that he's found a, he's found a good home. And yep. honestly, I'm, I'm actually kind of questioning how much his value is going to be impacted by the return of Julian Edelman. I don't think that the deck is going to be reshuffled so much that He's not going to have at least some value week in, week out. I just think that based off of his, again, just one game, I understand mm-hmm. small sample sizes and whatnot, but it seemed like his ability to not only separate, but also become a, a reliable pass catcher for Tom Brady. And really, that's all you need to do in order to, in order to wind up, you know, becoming a solid player for the New England Patriots is just do your job. But, 
I think that once Julian Edelman comes back, he can find himself starting opposite Chris Hogan, and yep. and you know, and I think he continued to to have some value. So I do think that as one of the, that is one of those players, especially in dynasty, that I wouldn't mind picking up at all. Yeah. So Philip Dorsett is that that guy that was uber talented, you know, just like the Mark Davis Bryant, and it was almost like he was only ever in his own way. And before I get into the next part, I I don't want to give any illusion that this is a, a steady occurrence, but there are other players who have done this. I mean, you could not pay Aaron Rodgers to throw to Devontae Adams in his rookie season. I remember that first game where Jordy and Randall got hurt and it looked bad. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was visibly angry. He was visibly yelling at Devontae Adams and now he calls them Tay. They're great friends. Yeah. Um, he's his stud receiver. So, it, there is no illusion that that happens regularly. I'm just saying that, that it has happened and it could happen with Philip Dorsett as a uber talented, uh, wide receiver. He'll see himself opposite of Chris Hogan, uh, even when Edelman comes back, but it's really the target distribution that we're worried about. For sure, for sure. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to distribution with Philip Lindsay, because what is he like, 5'8", buck 90? Yes, Somewhere he's he's quite small. He was there. Uh, he was compared to Tariq Cohen on oh, Twitter okay. earlier, but he is taller. He's a little bit taller. Oh, okay. But when it comes to, but I think in his particular position, we know what we're getting when it comes to when it comes to satellite backs because that that'd be the kind of archetype that I would put him into. So we know what type of value that we can expect out of him. It's just that is Vance Joseph going to wind up using him like that on a consistent basis? And so if we're looking at a one-two punch between Freeman and Lindsay, then okay, I, I can get behind that and then just let Booker fall by the wayside and be the backup. That, to me, seems like the most optimal position based mm-hmm. off of both preseason with Freeman and then what we've been able to see out of Lindsay so far. So if that's if that's the split or if that's the type of usage that I can expect out of him, then yeah, sign me up all day because I think, again, if we're looking at late round flyers or attacking the waiver wire with low risk, high reward, path to touches is right there. So I'm, yeah. I'm all about it. And he was free. So mm-hmm. he's all he's already paid you. I mean, if he, if there's a free player that got you one fantasy point, technically they already paid you. And some people were smart earlier in the off season and got them for free. So the deal with that backfield, uh, I think that D'Angelo Henderson was the second most talented back on that roster. He ended up getting cut. Um, I'm, I feel as that Royce Freeman is the most talented back on that roster. Uh, Booker got hurt in that game. And so when you have these speculative ads like Philip Lindsay, the reason they're in the position they're in is because we care so much about draft capital and he was undrafted. Well, the thing is the, the hit rate for a third round running back isn't very great either. Um, it's pretty low. I, I'm not going to throw a number out there because I don't remember off the top of my head, but it would be a different story if we found production in an undrafted free agent behind Geis or, or Sony. Sony was the back half of the first. So if we had Sony and then this undrafted free agent was coming out and just absolutely crushing it, still not a great chance that he's going to take over. But, you know, a third round pick starts to get in that range where it's like, look, we drafted Royce in the third. We got Philip Lindsay for free. Uh, they're on e- equal playing ground. Uh, so he really could take over. I don't think he will. I did watch um, our buddy Jake Anderson did a bunch of cut ups. Uh, Philip Lindsay is actually his. Is uh, AV right now? I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> so surprise he, me. He definitely likes him a lot. I did watch the cutups. He didn't exactly play so much as a satellite back. He was actually pretty impressive for his size between the tackles. So the opportunity is there. So I guess just thinking, I need to go back and again, if anybody doesn't have Game Pass yet, that'll be the best hundred bucks that you ever spend ever. <laughs> right. To be able to go through and watch an entire NFL game in 45 minutes is the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and just a quick question, and, and I completely disagree with me at this point, but is there a huge drop-off in the talent between Naheem Hines and Philip Lindsay? You know, we haven't seen enough of Naheem Hines to really say. Um, obviously, if we had to go by week one, it would have to be Philip Lindsay um, because it didn't look like a fluke. 
I didn't get to see the whole game. I watched a lot of red zone and then I had a TV off to the side. It, he got the equal amount of touches and literally the same amount of yards as Royce Freeman, both 71 yards. Um, Hines Phillip is Lindsay just like slightly larger though, right? Hines is larger and Hines is actually more of that prototypical satellite back that we're discussing now. They have similar build, but Lindsay actually looked like he could carry, he, he looked like he carried his weight a little bit better and we'll have to see more because honestly, I didn't do much research on him. You know, why would I? He wasn't even on a team. Yeah, he was UDFA. Why would you? Right. So, and kudos to the guys that did for sure. Like mm-hmm. Jake, I, I mean, that's why they roster them and that's why they have them and, exactly. and we don't. Yeah. But as far as those two player comparisons, I think you probably spent uh, a late second on Naheem Hines and then you got Philip Lindsay off the waiver wire and you're honestly probably going to get more points from Philip Lindsay. Right. And I can see him like winding up in the same, like the same role, let's say as like Jacquez Rogers, something, you know, yeah. something, something like that. I, I can definitely yep. see him having those similar roles where I wouldn't want them being my primary ball carrier because I could assume at some point they're going to break down, but at mm-hmm. least they would be, at least I know that they're serviceable. So if I wanted to keep defenses honest, you know, that sort of thing, where if I set them up in the backfield alone, it's not like they're going to assume that it's going to be a pass play like if Chris Thompson were in the backfield, something like that. Right, and Vance Joseph doesn't care if he got you from the hot dog stand outside the stadium before the game and gave you pads. He'll give anyone the ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he has no allegiance to the running back position. He's definitely a very frustrating head coach. I mean, you can think as recent as last year, C.J. Anderson breaking a 1,000 yards should have had a lot more yards than he did, and he just wasn't getting the consistent work. Yeah, I think I I agree there. And so it does seem like there's – it's something – it's a backfield that we're all going to have to monitor, but at least from a value standpoint, if you haven't picked Lindsey up yet, go ahead and grab him. And then, again, wait and see if that will wind up paying dividends for you. So we've gotten to the deeper waiver wire ads earlier, and then we started on this subject a little bit. But I just want to kind of talk about how spoiled we got by 2014 and 2017 by the wide receiver and running back position, um, respectively. And uh, really what expectations that we should have for these rookies and why patience is so important in dynasty. So I'll just kind of overlay the rookies we'll be talking about. We'll just quickly hit on each. Uh, we got plenty into the Freeman Lindsay situation, but then we have Penny, we have Ronald Jones, uh, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, and then we'll get into the wide receiver position after that. But so I'll just start us off with Penny. He got a uh, 50, 50 snap share. I think exactly 50, 50 snap share with uh Chris Carson. He got a 50-50 snap share with Chris Carson and even Pete Carroll said after the game that Carson looked phenomenal and Penny, he said, looked rusty. So he looked like a rusty Penny. Said that on the FF Ballers earlier too. So they get two shout outs. But uh, um, he caught the ball well though and we kind of knew that he was going to catch the ball pretty well. He got in space and he did what he does. So he looked how he was supposed to look and maybe a rookie is going to be rusty and he was horrible at pass protection. So there's only, you can only go up from there, but kind of what is your expectation for Penny or what was it? Um, I think my expectation for, for Penny, I think was actually what we saw on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, with everything that we had heard going into, going into the week one gained weight, the the hype train behind Chris Carson was not just fan-based or just the hype that we saw on Twitter. No, it was, I mean, the coach was saying it. You could see it in the preseason usage. I mean, it, it was all there in front of us. So my expectations were kind, of, were kind of met when it came to what we saw out on the field. So, but going forward, I mean, spinning this forward for, for the dynasty folks, I mean, I would say, again, be patient. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I don't sure. think that, I don't think that this is something that's going to, I guess completely his his value isn't going to bottom out. I guess is what I'm right. saying. I do think that as long as Russell Wilson is there, as long as the offense continues to be productive, then I think Penny will still hold some value to us. It's just figuring out if he can, I don't know, like figure out what his um, figure out how he can produce within that backfield and outtouch Chris Carson. So, and I think he still has the ability. I think it's for some reason. What is it with rookies coming in larger than what they started off with at the end of the combine during preseason. Cause didn't we deal with this with Joe Mixon last year? Yes. I think this is total speculation for me and maybe it's just from a personal training perspective, but uh, I think it's a psychological thing. 
and we see it a lot where I think that these players are overcompensating for the fact that they're going to be going into the NFL. There's no higher stage. And I don't think that it was fat uh, that he put on. Some players no. do put on fat. That is Eddie Lacy. But it's not always great for these running backs to be massive. Actually, a lot of people get excited when these running backs lose weight. But this is pure speculation from a fan. But I think that it might have a psychological effect on the fact that you're going to be playing against these absolutely vicious linebackers. And you probably hit the gym pretty hard that first off season. I mean, you imagine going to sleep at night knowing that um, your first day of practice, Bobby Wagner is going to pop you. You know, what I mean? no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably hit the bench press a little harder too. So yeah. that would, ha- that would have to be my guess. And wasn't and pass protection. One of the things that he got knocked for, like in the combine worse. process. Yeah. Worse. So, so we mean, knew, yeah, we knew coming in um, and, I, I line these players up on the agenda because it is progressively more patience as we go down, in my opinion. Um, and this is what I'm trying to get at is that we didn't learn patience because we got spoiled by that 2017 running back draft. And then what was the narrative coming into this year, which I fully bought into better than see better than 2017 really, but we just saw a lot of great running backs and headed by Saquon Barkley. So you're like, whoa, I mean, you're setting that president with Saquon Barkley, and then you've got all these guys. So next is Rojo, more patience with Rojo. Um, not healthy scratch even. So what do you think about Ronald Jones? Um, I think with Ronald Jones, I think it's, to me, this is this is pure speculation on my part, is that I still believe in the talent, the preseason usage, or the, his preseason performance, rather, we're talking about drop passes, missed blocking assignments, and that even his even his running, I think, was I'd give him a B minus somewhere in there in terms of what his rushing ability he showed. That's not the Ronald Jones that I remember watching in college. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's more of something that's it's a mental thing, and I think he's overthinking things and trying to adjust to the NFL speed. So I think the healthy scratch is more of a way for the coaches to try and you know, motivate him in order to try and pick up the playbook and actually pick up the speed of the NFL. So I don't think that there's any lost talent there, and I don't think that the this one game or however many games it winds up being, if it's the twenty, you know, half the twenty eighteen season, I still think that he can. I think he's a better runner than Peyton Barber. Like I th- sure. So. sure, I think that it's pretty clear from the college tape that he's a better runner. And for whatever reason, uh, let me add that this segment is not to tell you who we like and who we dislike. We've done our evaluations on these players. We're just saying at value, be patient. We're, we're not telling you that these players should move up the draft boards. They should have moved down the draft boards. We were completely no. wrong. We were completely right. All we're saying is that Whatever you saw on college, there has not been enough in the NFL for you to change that opinion yet on any of these guys. We, we need to let them learn. I mean, did you walk onto the job the first day and just be a, an all-star? Um, I realize we're talking about different professions here, but even more so, there's a lot more learn to learn at their job than a lot of our jobs. Yeah, so, exactly. I think there's a, there's a tough. learning curve. There's a learning curve associated with everything. And for this, this is the you have the highest expectations that are going to be put mm-hmm. on some of these players. So, I mean, when it comes to any of the other guys, I mean, when it comes to Sony Michelle, I mean, we mm-hmm. knew going into the process that he that he had an injury. So it's yep. not it's it shouldn't be any surprise to anybody that somebody that's trying to impress who's trying to work out on one of the best teams in the nfl might have overworked himself is that, Yo, is that, is on, that a, on a previous knee injury yeah. yeah on a previous knee injury is that, is that not outside of the realm of possibility that going into it they knew i mean the patriots they had to have known about his prior injuries and the and the possible risk <laughs> that was associated with drafting him with such a high draft capital but Again, it's not we're practicing patience here. The talent is still there. We saw that at Georgia. We knew we knew yep. what type what type of talent that he had. So I don't think that there's any reason to move off of any of these players. The same thing like Nick Chubb. I mean, why yep. why I mean as high as he was graded, I mean, depending on who you go and talk to, it was either Nick Chubb or Saquon Barkley or Saquon Barkley and then Nick Chubb. And I think so with Nick Chubb, we we had the expectation that Carlos Hyde was the um, expensive backup plan. That was my impression. But that was my impression, assuming that 
the Browns got Saquon Barkley. What happened is that that theory rolled over to Nick Chubb, who, if he didn't have the injury, he might have been ahead of Geis behind Saquon Barkley or right. even competing with Saquon Barkley as as well as he was doing. But he's he wasn't that player at the time, and he may end up being that player. But we had this impression that Carlos Hyde is immediately the RB2 for Cleveland if they draft Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley went two overall, so we just carried that on to the second round. First pick of the second round comes around. Nick Chubb gets drafted automatically. We're like, oh, Carlos Hyde's the RB2. Well, Nick Chubb wasn't Saquon Barkley, and we have to wait, and we're going to have to wait a year. And I've really liked what I've seen out of Nick Chubb. So the whole point of touching all of these running backs is that they're not all 2017, and there won't be 2017 again. We have to be patient. So – the the wide receivers are way easier. People are way more willing to to wait on wide receiver. Um, it's been four years since we had 2014 and got that immediate production. That was also a huge outlier. Usually you get sprinkled in production from some of these rookies, and they're almost never in the order you thought. But um, just real quick, I'll, I'll outline the receivers. We're talking about DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, Anthony Miller, Christian Kirk, Michael Gallup. Do you do – did you go into the season expecting to get wide receiver three numbers from any of these? Um, not really. I, I was never really – with DJ Moore, I never really saw his path to success in 2018. Mm-hmm. I never – I honestly didn't understand that I, I didn't really – I'm not a fan of the fit with Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at least for me, with, with Cam and his and – his, like, not necessarily scattershot, but – Let's just say he's not the most accurate Pretty passer. Accurate, yeah. yeah, he's not the most accurate passer. So if Cam made Kelvin Benjamin a star, if Cam is is making Del, uh, Devin Funches a star, uh, Greg Olson a star, I mean, I don't really think DJ Moore falls into that same body style, archetype, route running ability as the rest of those guys. Maybe Greg Olson, but <laughs> the rest of those guys don't like. He is the he is the outlier. So yep. I didn't really see a path to success for DJ Moore in 2018. And then unless there's some significant change, I don't see how he recoups any of that value in 2019. So, and that's just based off of fit within the offense. I'll, I'll pivot a little bit since you discussed DJ Moore. I think that the only one that I really saw the opportunity for was Gallup out of desperation for the Dallas Cowboys. They just didn't have anyone uh, – I, I do like Alan Hearns, and he is the only player that's had a thousand yards on that roster, so he's the veteran by default. But I just thought that Gallup might have got pigeonholed into production, yeah, and and it would have been low end wide receiver three at that. So the point I'm bringing up these guys is that we shouldn't have really anticipated much production from them, anyways. But they are the shiny new toys, and we get excited as a community, very excited to draft these guys so they get in your roster. So the last thing that I want to leave everyone with is that this is why leagues have taxi squads, and this is why I love the taxi squad so much because the taxi squad is for what dynasty owners used to be fine with. It was common practice. You drafted your players, you threw your entire – that's probably why there's five taxi squad spots because usually there's five rounds – you threw your entire rookie squad on the taxi squad and then you literally forgot that you had them. And I love it. I love when I go to the rosters menu because usually I won't go to the rosters menu. If I want to check out my team, I'll go to the submit lineup page. Doesn't show your taxi squad. Right. I love going to the roster menu and realizing that I've got Anthony Miller and Traquan Smith and, and Royce Freeman on the taxi squad, not even using them. So now I don't even have to worry if they have a big game. Great, but you know it. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts inside when yeah. you have to throw Royce Freeman in that lineup, and he gets you five points, and Philip Lindsay goes ham, and you're just like, "What just happened?" But you know, if he's sitting on your taxi squad, it's like you forget all about him until it's time to until it's time to really be impressed and throw him on that starting lineup. Yeah, I agree. So. Now, looking back over all of this, I'm hoping that folks were able to at least take some 
you know, take some tips away for one attacking the waiver wire, looking at their FOB budget for not just week one or going into week two, but for the entire season, and then also some of the situations that, yeah, we might have been really high on coming into coming into this season after the draft process, the seeing all of the offseason hype and whatnot, but you know, practicing patience, understanding that some of these situations, they take time to develop. So while we might have been expecting some of these players to pop in year one, it's going to take a little bit of time. So, Adam, anything else for the folks tonight before we get on out of here? Yeah, so just really appreciate you guys coming in and listening. Uh, we've got a new look or new sound with just the two of us, and we will mostly have guests going into the future. But as we get into the season, people are very, very busy with their roster, especially in the uh, fantasy community. So we want to make sure we pump out content, even if we don't have a guest on, and we're not going to – uh, you know, force a subject if it's not relevant. So, um, if it's something that just Chris and I can touch on, we'll, it'll probably be, probably be us presenting it. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, leave us a rate, a review, a like. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at Dynasty, uh, pregame. Uh, you can find our Twitter at Dynasty Manual. You can find me on Twitter at DHH underscore Adam. And, uh, that that t-shirt contest is still going. I'll make sure that I, I retweet it after this, but Des Bryant still has not signed with a team, so I'll make sure that uh I get that put out there so you can guess Des Bryant's team for the chance to win a sweet Dynasty Owners Manual shirt. Yeah, do you see that picture that got tweeted out today, though, that he was with Jerry Jones? No, the last Des Bryant tidbit that I saw was that he wanted to come to the Redskins. Uh, Yeah, I guess somebody tweeted out a picture. I guess he was at some, like it was a game or something like that, or some function with Jerry Jones last night, which is kind of wild. So, (laughs) Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that saga unfolds. But all right, everybody, so I guess we're done for this this week. We appreciate everybody coming out. Again, I'm your host, Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisAllenFF. FWX, and we've got Casey Kasem coming to sit down with us here within the next couple of weeks, so you guys will be awesome. hearing, uh, hearing her come and talk with us. So, again, thanks everybody for coming out, and we'll catch you guys next week. Dynasty. It, it, it's automatic. Dynasty. It, it, it's automatic.